If you'd like to open your Bibles to some scripture, you could open them to John's Gospel, the 14th chapter, and also the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, and then to the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Find those three openings, if you will, please. John's Gospel, chapter 14, Acts chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a seminar, Holy Ghost seminar. We're speaking, teaching upon that particular subject. And so for uh, two general texts, we have selected John 14, 17. We'll read the 16th verse. It said, Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he will send you another comforter. He went on to say in the 17th verse, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We've endeavored to show that God expects a twofold working, a dual working of the Spirit of God in the life of his children. Number one, in the new birth, the Holy Ghost is in us. He bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. But then there is another experience. And that is, we call it sometimes the baptism with the Holy Ghost. The Bible calls it in Acts 2, being filled. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Bible calls it receiving the Holy Ghost. You see, when you receive Christ as Savior, though the Spirit of God is active, through the Word of God, He convicts the sinner, leads him to Jesus. Jesus said, no man can come unto me except my Father draw him. There's a drawing power about the Spirit of God. And then through the Word of God, the Spirit of God recreates our spirits, makes us a new creature in Christ Jesus, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and thank God for that. But then there is this other experience. Jesus said it like this, as Luke records it. In Luke 24, 49, he commanded his disciples to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Here he calls this experience an, an endowment of power. Well, we need that, don't we? So we're looking at it from this direction, the spirit within and the spirit upon. Praise God. And then you'll notice also, I'm trying to catch you up if you were not with us for a few things we said, that in, the, in connection with the work, this dual work of the Holy Spirit, we have a, a group of nine mentioned. The nine fruit of the Spirit, as mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And so this might be referred to as the result of the indwelling the life of Christ within, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. But then in 1 Corinthians 12, we ask you to open your Bibles there, we are taught that there are nine manifestations of the Spirit. Nine manifestations of the Spirit. Here he says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now that's the seventh verse. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith, or as the Amplified has a special faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings, and incidentally both gifts and healings in the Greek are in the, are in the plural, gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, 
to another the interpretation of tongues. And then the 11th verse says, but all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And so we can readily see then that these nine manifestations of the spirit come with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The fruit of the spirit comes with the indwelling spirit. But these nine manifestations of the Holy Ghost come as a result of being baptized with the Holy Ghost or filled with the Holy Ghost. Now I want you to notice that in this 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the very first verse, Paul said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I'm reading King James translation, I would not have you ignorant. You'll notice in this verse that the word gifts is italicized. I suppose you know that anytime you find a word in your Bible that's italicized, that means it wasn't in the original scriptures. That means the translators added it, thinking they'd help you. I really think they did us an injustice here. So let's read the verse and leave the word gifts out because it isn't in there anyway. Now concerning spiritual, our spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. The Greek word translated spiritual, or spiritual here because it's in the plural, literally means now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, I would not have you ignorant. So you see, he is talking about gifts, all right, but he's talking about more than gifts. We pointed out in the end of the chapter that he talks about the ministries. God has said in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and so on. We find out that he talks about the body of Christ. The body is one. We have many members. He said in the 12th verse, for as the body is one, it has many members, and all members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one, but many. But you see, all of these things, whether it's the body of Christ, whether it's the offices that he set in the church, the office of pastor, evangelist, teacher, apostle, or whatever office, or whether it's these manifestations of the spirit, all of these things pertain to and are of the Holy Ghost. Then he said in the fourth verse, now there are diversities of gifts. The word gifts there is in the original. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. So then we see what is commonly called nine gifts of the Spirit are really divided into three groups. Diversities of gifts, differences of administrations, and diversities of operations. Then he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit. It's better to call them manifestations than it is to call them gifts. That is all of them. Now there are certain ones of them that are gifts. The three, the four that are gifts are diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongue, prophecy, and gifts of healings. The three that are administrations are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discern the spirits. The two that are operations are faith, special faith, and working of miracles. And if you look at it from that way, I think it'll help you considerably. Now, we also did this, and I want to go over it real briefly before I get into what I want to say tonight. We also look at some length to this fact that in the New Testament, that is the Greek New Testament, and it's originally written in Greek, you understand, that there are four different words that are translated gift. Now, if you just read along casually in the King James translation, you don't know that necessarily. But there are four different Greek words. The first one, one of them, just means a gratuity or giving as to a pauper. And that word is always used in connection with the gift of salvation or the gift of the Holy Ghost because that, in any, any case, either case, the recipient is as a poor man. 
utterly without spiritual life or power, and unless God in his mercy gives it to him, he'll always be without it. For example, the Bible said, Jesus said, you know, to the woman, the well of Samaria, I'm not going to own all of them. It's going to call your attention to one or so. If thou knewest, the woman, the well of Samaria, if thou knewest the gift of God, and here the Greek word means gratuity, giving as to a pauper. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto me, give me to drink, thou would have asked of me, and I would have given thee living water. Now then, there's another word translated gift, and it means a present or an offering. Now, uh, that word is used in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift. It's the present of God. God gives it to you not as the other gift was given. Then there's another word that's used, translated gift or gifts, another Greek word. You'll notice in Hebrews 2, 4, it says, concerning the early church, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, now listen, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his will. Now in this instance, the Greek word translated gifts means distributions. So let's read it like that. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and distributions of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Now, to understand why such a word is used here in connection with the Holy Ghost, distributions of the Holy Ghost, we need, and I want to go over it again, we need to make a comparison between Christ and his church. We read, and I called your attention to it, in John 3, 34, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. That infers that he does give the Spirit by measure unto us. In other words, he, when he was here in his ministry on the earth, was the only begotten Son before Calvary. And as such was the sole human representative of his heavenly Father. As the only one anointed and empowered by the Holy Ghost, Ministering the new things of God, the Spirit was given to him without measure. Now, however, the order is changed. As others have been made sons of God by receiving Christ, as Hebrews 1.6 says, now he op- occupies a position of the first begotten. You see, he was the only begotten back there in the Gospels, but in the epistles he's not. He's the first begotten because we're begotten. We're born of God and have become sons of God. The church, which is his body, we see that in this 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. The church, which is his body, has many members. And in order that the same fullness may become operative in the world that was operative in Christ, there is a distribution of the Spirit among the members of the body. Now this thought of a certain measure is also expressed in Ephesians 4, 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift. Notice that according to the measure of the gift of Christ, according to the measure of the endowment. See, that word there means the same. God, as it were, takes the endowment of his power and by breaking it up or dividing it, distributes it in his multiple form of working 
to all the members of the body. Can you see that? Now then we come to that fourth and last word. That's where we left off last night and that's where I want to pick up tonight now. But I felt like because if I just plunged into it without explaining some of this and going over it again, you might not get it. That is new people particularly. Really to get the most out of this seminar, you need to get the tapes. You need to hear what was said beforehand if you're going to get the best out of it, you see. So this fourth word, Greek word, that's translated gift, means endowment or miraculous faculty. Now, by a careful study, we find that uh, this word is used in connection with, uh, with prophecy. Uh, for instance, in the 12th chapter, you might turn there for just a moment, 12th chapter of Romans, you're there in 1 Corinthians, just have to turn back a little bit to the 12th chapter of Romans. You'll see the word in the English Bible. You'll see the word uh, gift used here. And, and this, look, let's start with the fourth verse again. And it'll, it'll also relay to you the fact that what I have been saying. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Now look at the sixth verse. Now notice he's talking about members of the body of Christ. He isn't talking about necessarily preachers, as we call them, or ministers of the gospel, is he? He's talking about the body of Christ, and we're members of that body. You're a member of it, aren't you? All right. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy. Now, you see, he, he uses the word gift and he uses the word prophecy in connection with it. Prophecy is a gift then. And this word, gift, is that fourth word. It means endowment or miraculous faculty. In other words, what he's talking about is the power of God that enables one to speak or labor under divine unction. Hallelujah. Then, in connection with healing. Remember there in 1 Corinthians, you could go back there if you wanted to, 1 Corinthians 12. One of these manifestations of the Spirit, like I said, I like to call them manifestations rather than gifts. One of them after all, if they were all gifts, why single healings out and put the word gifts in there? If they were all gifts, you'd already know it. He had just said to another, is given healings. But no, he said gifts of healings. Isn't that right? And this word, gifts, here is that fourth Greek word that means endowment or miraculous faculty. Praise God forevermore. Now then, in connection with this, I wanted to share some things with you tonight because we said that we would be laying hands upon the sick for healing. You understand that one can preach the gospel. The Bible said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved and so on. Well, healing is a part of the gospel and one can be healed by hearing the gospel and believing it and appropriating his healing for himself without someone ministering to him who's endowed with miraculous faculty to do so. Now let's use an illustration, give you a scriptural illustration of that. Turn to the 14th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. The 14th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Notice what it says. This is talking about the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. In the 13th chapter of Acts, you remember Paul and Barnabas along with three other brethren there in the church were waiting upon God and ministering to the Lord and fasting and the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Then they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them and sent them forth. And the scripture said, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. They being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. 
That means now that they are, they are endowed by the Spirit of God to minister in this way. So they went. Now then, in this 14th chapter, it tells you something about part of their missionary journey. It tells us in the 6th verse that uh, they fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the regions that lieth around about, and there they preached the gospel. And then it goes on to tell us something that happened here at Lystra. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. Now notice the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. And this lifelong cripple was instantly healed. Now I want you to notice that he was not instantly healed by any supernatural endowment, though Paul was supernaturally endowed, or miraculous faculty that Paul was anointed with. He was healed because he had faith. Paul, all he did was just perceived that the man had faith. Well, now where did he get faith? He got faith from what he heard. The Bible said the same, the man, the crippled man, heard Paul speak. What did Paul speak? He preached the gospel, the seventh verse said. Well, now, is there something about the gospel that would cause faith to come into the heart of a lifelong cripple to be instantly healed? Decidedly, yes. Could one get faith by hearing that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture? No, he could get faith for salvation from sins. Then Paul must of necessity have not only preached that he bore our sins but he must have also preached what Matthew eight seventeen said, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And the man, faith, to believe that. How does faith come into your heart to believe that he took your sins? By hearing the word of God preached that he was made to be sin for us and that he died for us and that he rose from the dead for us, that he died for our offenses, that he was raised for our justification, that we might be set right with God. And faith comes by hearing that. We hear it preached. We believe it, praise God, and receive remission of sins. By the same token, hearing that himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. This man received faith, you see, and was healed. Now, many are healed that way. I was healed that way. Nobody even prayed for me. The Bible does teach prayer all right. But no one prayed for me. No one laid hands upon me. No one anointed all. No one ministered to me with any divine endowment or miraculous faculty. I just got into the word of God and believed that word. And so you can be healed that way. And, and certainly that's true. But yet right on the other hand, the Bible teaches us that there are those that there is such a thing as ministering under the anointing. And that there is a divine endowment and, and a miraculous faculty. Because that's what the word gifts mean here in connection with healing. Now, now after I was healed as a Baptist boy and began my ministry as a Southern Baptist, well, I, I still ministered to the sick, even though I was pastor of a small country church. I, I, I taught, you know, God hears and answers prayer. And, and I taught that, uh, that uh, healing belongs to us. Not in the sense that I do now. I didn't have that full light on it. But I saw it. The Bible said they'll lay, believers will lay hands on the sick. And I laid hands on them in faith. I didn't have any anointing. I didn't have any miraculous faculty working in me. I just laid hands on folks in faith, praise God, and saw them heal. We had a lot of healings. But then I was baptized with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues like they did on the day of Pentecost and like they did in the Acts of the Apostles. And you see, it is the baptism of the Holy Ghost that leads you into these nine manifestations of the Spirit. Amen. It's the one and the only way of entering into them. Praise God. And so, I was baptized with the Holy Ghost the eighth day of April, 1937. And as I say humorously sometimes, received the left foot of fellowship from among the Baptists. And uh, so we, we, uh, we actually turned that little whole little old church into a Pentecostal church. But then in 1938, I, uh, I uh, decided, you know, that I wanted to change. I became associated with the Pentecostal movement, and that I wanted to, uh, you know, I'd pastored there over two years, and, you know, into my third year, didn't complete three full years, and so I began to ask around, you know, and I, 
And so I remember this happened to be Assembly of God, and the presbyter said, well, uh, Brother Hagin said, you know, church up at Tom Bean. Tom Bean is a little town down in the southeast corner of Grayson County. Uh, Grayson County, if you don't know where these are, then Collin County, then Dallas County. You know where Dallas is. A lot of people know where the big cities are. See? So we were, you know, uh, Sherman's about 60, 62, 3 miles from it's a county seat of Grayson from Dallas. And we were down the southeast corner, so we were oh, about the same distance, actually, though we were a little further south, but we were further east. And, uh, and so this is a small town. So I went up and preached. And, and actually, I went back there before I, you know, accepted as pastor. They wanted me to take it, but I just held revival. Then I preached a number of Sundays. And finally, I said to him, okay, I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And, and so there I was pastor. Well, that's where I met my lovely wife, Tom Bean, Texas. In, in those days, they used to call me String Bean from Tom Bean. <laughs> you, you, you see, I weighed, you know, with, 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 you know, and I tried to get all the weight on I could so I'd weigh more, but 138 pounds. I mean, with my clothes on, my shoes on, my coat on, my tie on. <laughs> Amen, 138. You know, just tall as I am now. They call me String Bean from Tom Bean. And so, you know, I, I didn't know a lot. I, in those days, we, we had no teaching. I mean, I mean, they just got us baptized with the Holy Ghost and turned us loose. That's about as far as we knew. We had just to learn some things for ourselves. So, you see, this is 1938 now. And I'd had the baptism of the Holy Ghost of the evidence of speaking in other tongues and did pray in tongues every day and sing in tongues every day and worship God in tongues every day for, you know, for about 18 months. So I met my wife there. You see, we were married on the 25th day, the 25th day of November of 1938. Well, I rented a room in town. They had no postage anything, this little old church, and and I'd rented a room in town from one of the members. One of the members lived with him. I think I paid him two, $2 to begin with and finally two and a half a week for room, board, and all, you know. And, uh, and so uh, my father-in-law was a farmer in the Blackland. That's Blackland of North Central Texas. And he said to me, son, when you get married, well, just move in here. We've got plenty of room, you know, and room and board won't cost anything. And what, you know, the church pays you, you can sort of save it up and help get started, you know, in life. Because, see, we, we needed all we could get because after we was married, I had a dime left. And so we just bought us a, each one a bar of candy and went broke. <laughs> I mean, we started out on the bottom. We couldn't go any other way but up. When you start there, that's one sense. You don't have to worry about which way you're going because you're already down. <laughs> Amen. So now, now the 25th day of November, 1938, was on a Friday. You know, if anybody ever asks you, you know now. <laughs> and, and so we, we were married on that night, and, and, and you know, we didn't have a honeymoon because you can't take a honeymoon on a dime. And that's what I had after we got married was one, di two nickels actually, not even a dime, just, just two nickels. I'd rub them two nickels together like I was rich, you know. And then the next day we went to town, you know, with my dad-in-law and we just, uh, or with, uh, with uh, some other friends out of the church. And so we just uh, spent, decided we'd spend those nickel, just big spenders. Uh, you know, bought each one of us a candy bar, you know, and, and that's it. So then I preached on my church, and of course I got paid on Sunday, all right. But I preached on Sunday, and then on Monday I moved my belongings over to that farmhouse, you see. Well, I'd just taken what I had, you know, I had books and clothes and boxes, and, you know, and I boxed these books up and boxed a lot of personal belongings up. And I don't know, I had a few boxes, I don't know how many of them, seven or eight of them, I don't know, several anyway sitting over in the corner of our bedroom and we're going to straighten it up later but you know uh, that night about nine o'clock well we were going to retire so my father-in-law and these were good Methodist people now my my they, they were not Pentecostal they came all the time to the full gospel church but my father-in-law said well let's pray and so we knelt there in that old farmhouse to pray and uh, and we prayed for about uh, well actually spirit of prayer came on me I'd been doing all my praying, mostly, you know, just privately, but a real heavy burden, an anointing came on me. And, and, you know, I knew these folks came to Full Gospel Church, and I knew they knew we spoke with other tongues and, and all of that. 
But I didn't know how they'd feel necessarily about me just a bellering out loud and tongues right there <laughs> in their home, you know, in private devotions. And, and I tried to keep it quiet. And, and, and I'm a very conservative person myself, if you've ever around me, you know that. And I tried to be quiet about it, but it seemed if I was quiet about it, I just kept building steam up inside until I was going to burst wide open. And finally, I just, after a while, throwed caution to the wind. <laughs> and I started praying as loud as I could, because I, I felt more relief that way, in other tongues. And I prayed hard and fast in other tongues for about an hour and a half. Yeah, it was an hour and a half. Because we knelt down there at nine o'clock, and I don't know, I had been praying a little quietly in tongues for a little while, a few moments, not too awful long, because I know, I know when this happened. At 10.30, you see, the Lord said to me, lay your hand on your wife and I'll fill her with the Holy Ghost. Well, now you have to realize this. You, you modern day charismatics doesn't realize that in the Pentecostal movement, those days you didn't lay hands on people. Well, that's why you might be led, but they taught everybody to tarry. You got to tarry. You got to wait. And, and this is new. And you know, I just at first didn't pay a lot of attention to it. I thought maybe it'd go away. <laughs> and the second time, lay your hand on your wife, and I still just tried my best to ignore it. And the third time, lay your hand on your wife and I feel it the Holy Ghost. And I know there's some unbelief here, but you know God will put up a little unbelief in you when you don't know any better. It's when you know better that you can't get by. Amen. Spiritual growth is a lot not natural growth. You know, kids and their little bitty thing, they can get by with some things. You know, a four-year-old can get by with some things that an eight-year-old can't. And so I remember I said to myself, because see, I'd never seen anybody do anything like this. I mean, this is brand new. I said to myself, well, it won't hurt to try it. So I opened my eyes now. Before I kept my eyes shut, I was afraid just looking at me. <laughs> I opened my eyes and looked. See, my dad-in-law still kneeling over here to my right. My wife immediately here, my mother-in-law on the other side. So I just reached my left hand out there on my knees and laid it on top of my wife's head. I didn't hardly brush her head, the top of her head with my hand. till she. I didn't tell her to do anything. She just lifted both hands and started speaking fluently in tongues. She never stammered, never stuttered. Just immediately began to speak fluently in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave her. And she talked in tongues for an hour and a half. <laughs> Sang several songs in tongues. And we had Pentecost in that old Methodist home. <laughs> Praise God. And here's the benefit. Here's the benefit of praying in the Spirit, dear friends. I made mention of that earlier in one of the lessons is that the, it's the, the Spirit of God brings a revelation. I said the Spirit of God brings a revelation. I remember 10 years later when we were pastor down in East Texas and God kept dealing with me about leaving the church and pastoral work, going out on the field in field ministry. And I knew what it meant. I knew that it meant that I was going to have to be gone from home. Children are small. That first when he began to speak to me, Pat was in the first grade, Ken's in the second grade. Children have to be educated. It's going to mean my wife's going to have to stay home and, and, and keep those children in school. Because, you see, we're not going to do it. I determined years ago we weren't going to do like a lot of preachers, lose your kids. No, you just get another saved, lose your kids. And that's your responsibility. I said, well, God called me. Your responsibility first to your children. Hey, are you listening to me? And so I'm praying out in the church day after day, waiting on God long hours. And I said, Lord, how am I going out there? And tell her I'm going to have to be gone from home. I'm going to have to be gone from you and the children. And you're going to have to stay at home by yourself. You're going to have to be with those children. For a number of years, that was the case, dear friends. And so uh, one day I finally picked up enough nerve. So I went out from the church. I'd been praying, went over to the parsonage, and my wife was ironing. And I hung around there and talked a little bit about other things, you know how you'll do, trying to lead up to it, you know. <laughs> finally, I finally got up enough nerve and I said, honey, I, I want to tell you something. Yeah, I know, she said, what it is, you're going to have to be gone. I'm going to have to stay at home and raise She knew the whole thing. <laughs> Instead of me shocking her, she shocked me. <laughs> I said, how did you know that? Well, she said, I've been praying out here in the parchments while you was praying in the church. <laughs> Besides that, that night out there in that little old farmhouse, when I was 
baptized with the Holy Ghost, I knew that night that day was coming when you'd be gone. The Holy Ghost brings revelation, dear friends. Are you listening to me? I knew then. I knew then. And so, there in the home for an hour and a half, she spoke with other tongues, sang in other tongues, and we had Pentecost. Now, my mother-in-law, and, and, and you know, I tell a part of this, but I'm going to tell you part of it not you don't necessarily hear it. My mother-in-law had what the doctors called a double gorter. Now, she had, uh, you know, a, a, a part of it's out here. I mean, big as, big as your fist right in here. But the doctor said it's twice as big on the inside as it is on the outside. It had grown more inwardly than it had outwardly, and it's grown, wrapped itself around her windpipe. It's choking her to death. I mean, you could hear her breathe. At times, you could hear her breathing all over the house. You could come up outside the house in the wintertime. Doors are shut. Windows are down. Stand on the front porch and she's in the back of the house and hear her breathing, just struggling for breath. Well, you see, they wanted to operate on. You see, we talk about 1938. Uh, you know, operations weren't so uh, sometimes so successful as they are today. And, and, and so she said, no, I'm not going to be operated on. The doctor said, well, you start choking to death, you will. Now, that very day at the noon table, she said to her husband, I'll go to the, you know, to the doctor tomorrow and I'll just pack my suitcase to take with me because I know he's going to put me right in the hospital and operate on me. I'll go tomorrow. That's it. I just can't take it anymore. I can't, I've struggled. I can't breathe. I'll go tomorrow and be operated on. Now, I had talked to her about having faith now. Uh, and she believes, you see, in healing all right. Now, she's born again. She's not filled with the Holy Ghost, or baptized with the Holy Ghost, but she's born of the Spirit. And she said, well, yeah, I know you had faith for healing, and I, I believe God heals, but not me. No, 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 I'll just go be operated on. I don't have the faith. I'll go be operated on. But at midnight, I know because I looked at my watch. I know my wife talked an hour and a half in other tongue because I looked at my watch. You know, the Bible said to watch and pray. <laughs> Amen. Uh, that's not what that meant, but I did anyway. I, I'm a great one to do that. And, and so at midnight, the Holy Ghost said to me, or the Lord by the Holy Ghost, go get you oil and anoint your mother-in-law and I'll heal her. Now see, the anointing is upon me. That's when I was first conscious. You see, even after I'd come over among Pentecostals for those 18 months, I ministered to the sick all right, but just in faith, I had no anointing. I had no endowment. I had no miraculous faculty working on me or with me or in me or through me. You understand what I'm saying? I just anointed people with oil in faith. I laid hands on them just like I did as a Baptist before I got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I didn't sense any more anointing than I did before I was baptized with the Holy Ghost. You see? And I'd been baptized with the Holy Ghost for about 18 months. But the anointing is upon me. And, and, and so I, I, I said, I, I remember in my mind, I said to the Lord, Dear Lord, I don't know where in the world my little old oil, I had a just small bottle, you know, about an inch, inch and a half high, you know, maybe... You know, just a small bottle in one of those boxes in there where I put everything in there. Books, writing material, personal belongings. Dear Lord, I couldn't go through all of those boxes and find it. I don't know where that is. But you know, I'm going to walk. Now, I didn't say this out loud. I said this just in my mind to the Lord. I'm going to walk in there. And I'm just, you know, it's dark anyway. Might as well shut your eyes. So just keep my eyes shut. And you lead me right to it. I walked in there and put my hand down the edge of a box and there's the bottle. I walked back in there and anointed my mother-in-law at midnight. And that part of that gorder you could see on the outside as big as your fist just went down like you'd stuck a pin in a balloon. The Lord said to me at midnight, the t t t t t Hallelujah. Yeah. Okay, thank you. The, the Lord said to me at midnight, yeah, I understand that. I see that. Thank you. The Lord, the Holy Ghost keep bringing you revelation. Amen. I understand that, Lord. I got that one too. Praise God. Thank you. The Lord said to me through the Spirit at midnight, 28th day of November, 19th, 
and 38. As I stood there in that little old farm home, I have given thee a gift of healing and sent thee to minister to the sick. Well, I didn't know what all that meant. And I'll tell you the truth about the matter. I never did see the full import of what it meant until Brother Summerall was speaking here. Brother Summerall pointed out this fact, though I had said it in one way myself. Did you notice he said that it said gifts? This is only one of these manifestations that's in the plural. Did you notice that? All the other manifestations of the Spirit here are in the singular. Prophecy, so on. Well, tongues, of course, different kinds of tongues. But uh, this is the only one, you know, that's in the plural, gifts of healings. Now, because Jesus, while I'm talking, you turn back to the 8th chapter of Acts, because Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure in anointing, then you would see all of these gifts operating in him. But some of us only have one of them. Why are there gifts of healings? Because there's different physical ailments. What would heal one wouldn't heal another. One may be specially endowed by the Spirit to minister or have a miraculous faculty to minister to certain areas. Others doesn't. And when Brother Summerall pointed that out, it's just like a buzzer went off inside me. And the Lord said, that's what I tried to tell you way back there and you missed it. And then I remembered we, we, from 1947 through 1958, there was a revival of divine healing on here in America. And there was a, a we called it Voice of Healing. There was a magazine that Brother Lindsay published called Voice of Healing. All the healing evangelists in America was in the Voice of Healing, except Brother Roberts, and he would meet with us to begin with at some of our annual conventions. We'd have a convention every year of all healing evangelists. And there was a healing revival on in America. Now, I remember we would talk, we ministered to talk among ourselves. I remember one fellow, and I remember Brother F.F. F. Bosworth. We teach Brother Bosworth's book here, Christ the Healer. Brother Bosworth, the last time I saw him was 77 years of age. You'd think maybe he's 55. But Brother Bosworth wouldn't even minister to anybody except people had ear problems. He said, I don't know. He didn't understand it, and I didn't either until Brother Summerall said something that ticked off inside me. Brother... Bosworth said, of course, now I used to have great healing meetings at my age, 77, you know, he didn't go like that. He'd had as many as 20,000 people in one meeting, many meetings. And he'd just lay hands on people in faith or anoint them with oil. But he said, and I saw him do it with, with a number of people that day, same day. He said, I don't, I don't understand it. I just always know they'll be delivered. He said, anybody that's deaf, you have any ear trouble. I don't care if you've had your eardrum removed. If you've been operated on, you come on. I saw people that had eardrums removed and instantly they were restored. He had a divine faculty, a miraculous faculty to minister along that line. Never, I never saw him miss on a one. Not a one of them ever failed. In one meeting, there were 19 deaf mutes, one after another, just like that. Every single one of them were here. And he wouldn't just turn around and walk off, wouldn't even minister to anybody else. Because he didn't have a gift to minister. He had another man minister him who had a gift to minister a different way in healing. Are you seeing something? Can you understand what I'm saying to you? So remember we discussed this. Now here was one fellow in the voice of healing that was very similar to Brother Bosworth. Anybody that was deaf, he'd, I never saw him fail to get him healed. But he had very little success. I'm talking about ministry. You could teach anybody the word you understand. And get them to believe God and be healed, pray for them in faith. You understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about ministering with an endowment of the Spirit of God. I'm talking about ministering with a divine, with a miraculous faculty. You see, there's a difference between the two. Can you, can you see that? Now, here was another fellow divorce healing. He, he never did get a deaf person healed, but many blind people were healed under his ministry. Very seldom did a blind person fail to be healed. Now, here's what I saw, and I don't know why I didn't. As we were talking at Voice of Healing Convention in 1954 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, among ourselves, and different ones, you know, were having success in this area. And of all these ministers that we were talking to, you see, and all of them were leading ministers. Some of them, you know, God had told me to stay in the churches, and 
But others, you know, like Jack Coe, he had a tent just as big as Brother Robert's seat, 20,000. Finally uh, added another second to it, seat 22,000 people. Fill it up. And we got other fellows, you know, that had tents that seat 15,000, 10,000. They're just everywhere. And 5,000, man, to get to 5,000, you had a lot of folks to do that. There's a healing revival on. Now, we're talking to all of these fellows. Not many of them had cancer patient people healed, but I had more cancer people healed than all of them put together. They never even registered on me. I don't mean I had all cancer people healed. Never registered on me until I was sitting right over here about where my wife is now, and Brother Summerall said something, and something went off inside me. Buzzer went off inside me. The Spirit of God said, see, that's what I tried to tell you back there. Remember now that your mother-in-law had a growth, a a garter, a growth. Go back and check those cancer patients. Remember malignant growths. That's where you've had your greatest success, those who've had malignant growths. Remember there that you ran, you see, preaching in churches, you could do it. Remember that one, one section, one, one period of time, see, going from church to church and staying three weeks, four weeks, not never over eight or nine weeks, most of the time, just three or four weeks in the church. So you'd get to a number of them in a year's time, you see. And remember, back there in the 50s, the Lord said to me, when, when not over a period of time, over a period of about two and a half years, not one single person ever came with a hernia or a rupture or a nod or a growth but what they disappeared. Every one of them disappeared. Now, not always instant. Usually you'd have about two a meeting. But see, the pastor there, he could follow up on them. Many of them were his members. Some of them in, overnight, the growth or the rupture or the hernia would disappear. Some of them in a few days, none of them over six months, and then they'd disappear. Remember, you see, I, I was preaching here in Oklahoma in 19, and, 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 and here's something else I want to bring. The Lord appeared to me in 1950, you see. Now, here's, here's something you need to see. In 1950, in a vision in Rockwall, Texas, and laid the finger of his right hand upon each one of my hands, and they began to burn like it's holding coal to fire in them. Said, I've anointed thee. And called, then giving thee a special known and minister to the sick. I never could relate the two. Why would he have to do that? And I had done. I just went ahead and did what he said to do. And he said, You see, your gift, your special endowment and quality lies over here in this ability. But then the healing anointing will work for anything. And all of them. That's the reason you've had more success in this area. Now I'll show you the difference. Let me show you the difference. First, let's read some scripture, and then I'll get back to it. Look here in the 8th chapter of Acts. Now, look here in the 8th chapter of Acts. You got your Bibles open there now? Let's give you a Bible example. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits. Crying with a loud voice came out of many, not all of them, but many that were possessed with them. Now that's what they heard. They heard these unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice as they came out of many. Now notice, many that were taken with the palsies were healed, and many that were lame were healed. Doesn't say a word in the world about any deaf people being healed or any blind people being healed, does it? I said, does it? Where did his endowment or miraculous faculty and ministry healing lie in dealing with those that were lame or had palsies. Notice it said palsies. Those were the ones that got healed under his ministry. Did you get it? All right. The Lord appeared to me in that vision, you see. In the first day or two of September, 1950. Then I came over into Oklahoma here to hold a meeting that started the next Sunday. And incidentally, we ran eight weeks. Down the southeast corner of Oklahoma, down Broken Bow, Oklahoma, this lady here the other day came up and said, Brother Hagin, you know, I was in your meeting. I think said you got saved in the meeting anyway 30 years ago down there. And so here was a lady one night in one of the meetings that came up in the line, and, and I saw her. I'd, I'd have a, a, a prayer line, I called it and put people in that line to be healed and filled with the Holy Ghost and lay hands upon them. Be healed and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so here came this lady. I could see her before she got there. I knew that she must be 70 some odd years of age and she looked like she was pregnant. Looked like she was about to give birth to a baby. Just huge. 
And so I knew she must have a tumor. So she finally got here in front of me and, and I began to inquire. And she told me she's 72 years of age because I'd ask people questions and so on. And then she said, well, I asked, what'd you come for? Well, she said, you see this huge tumor. She said, now I was operated on twice over in Oklahoma City. They removed a tumor twice. And then it came back this third time. And she said, I, I went back again and the doctors, not just one of them, they held a conference, several of them, and they agreed that they just should not operate on me again, that I'd live longer. And they said to me, you probably have about two years. Well, she said, 18 months have gone. You see this huge tumor? Yeah, I said, I. But I said, didn't one of you and I have inside information? That is inside the Bible. Himself took our infirmities and bare sickness. Yes, she said, that's right, and I'll be healed too. Well, I started to lay my hands up on her, you see to minister with this anointing that he had given me when he laid the finger of his right hand upon each one of mine, when the word of the Lord came unto me saying, hit her in the stomach with your fist. <laughs> well, to make a long story short, I did, I didn't hit her hard. And, and the crowd sitting there saw it. it that, that, that huge tumor went down just like you'd stuck a pin in a balloon and her stomach flattened out. And she looked down at it, sort of, you know, she said, why, 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 it's gone. And I said, it sure has. She looked at me sort of startled like said, I don't know where it went. I, I said, I don't either. Now, where did it go? I know of people that, that tumors just dropped off of them and they passed them out. But now, where did that go? Well, it dematerialized. We were there just a year ago, first week of a, first weekend of December there in Detroit. And there was a lady there that had a 37-pound tumor. Actually, she was 68 inches in her waist. On Thursday night, on Saturday night, when she testified, she was 30-something in the waist. And she, when I laid hands on her, she fell under the power, but it really wasn't the anointing of that healing power. It was this special endowment faculty of when she... I thought it disappeared overnight, but I saw up, up, up at Detroit when I preached full God Benjamin's convention there this year, and she and her husband's in that church. Now, they were, they were Roman Catholics at that time when she was healed, but they're a member of the church there now and filled with the Holy Ghost. And on, Rodney Lord said, on fire for God. And uh, I thought it disappeared overnight. No, she said, when I got up out of the floor, it was gone. Now, where did it go to? Where did it go to? Where did it go to? Well, it dematerialized, praise God. So the Lord reminded me, he said, you see there, I didn't say I gave you gifts of healing. I told you I gave you a, a gift, and that's where your gift lies, in that area. And that's the reason you've had more success there in ministering in these areas. And then I thought back and I remembered then that the most, not all of them, but the most of those cancer patients, when I got more of them healed, you know, I didn't heal them now. But more of them were healed under our ministry than all the other voice healing ministers put together, that most of them were malignant growths, malignancies of that nature. And uh, I, I didn't use that. I, I like to uh, preach Faith. I like for people to receive mainly on their own faith. Then if they know how they got it, well, they can get it next time if they need it and go out and help somebody else. But if they just got it through your ministry, well, then they don't, unless they stay under the word, well, then they don't know what happened. Sometimes the devil will put it back on them or something worse. And so I really neglected the use of that. I was holding a meeting, and I'll close out with this. I was holding a meeting then in... Uh, you see, now that's 1938, you see. Then I was holding a meeting January of 1950 in Henderson, Texas. And uh, January the 19th, 1950, January the 19th, 1950, was on a Thursday. Do you know that? <laughs> Anybody ask it now, you remember. I told you. 
And so I had preached, all right, in the service. I was traveling alone, my wife, home with the children, of course. And retired to the pastor's next door. And I had missed God in not, in, in not operating in the Spirit and under that divine endowment. Not purposely, you understand. Not on purpose. And so uh, the pastor and his wife went on to bed. I sat up there for a while, January, it's cold weather. And uh, actually sat there in the living room and worked crossword puzzle, just sort of relax and unwind. And, and actually, we, the, the house, 1950 we're talking about now, 31 years ago, 32, you see, in a matter of a few days. It did not have central heat. It just had a stove here in the living room, see, a gas heater. And in my bedroom, no, no stove, you see. Certain rooms had a stove in it to heat. And, and so I was in there because it was warm. I put on my pajamas. I went into my bedroom, turned this gas stove down because you leave it on to keep a little heat in the house. And just as I lay down in my bed, my heart stopped. I had no inclination anything was about to happen. But I'd been nearly dead and healed of heart trouble, and I knew something about something. My heart actually literally stopped. And I know a few seconds like that just seems like it stopped for 10 minutes, when maybe it wasn't 10 seconds. It, it just literally stopped. And then it began to beat real fast, so fast that you couldn't detect. You, you, you could, it's just, like, it just like something shaking in here. It's just like a bowl of jello shaking. You couldn't distinguish beats. And so I, I, I rolled out of bed, you see, on the floor and started hollering as loud as I could. You know, now God didn't send it on me. You get on the devil's territory and he'll attack you. Lord, I'll obey you next time. I'll obey you next time. And I got no better fast. And I'd been nearly dead. I began to grow cold all over. And so I got up and called Brother Paramore. He came into the living room. I said, feel my heart. Well, he felt my pulse and he couldn't feel any here. He felt in my neck and he couldn't feel in the pulse. And he finally laid his hand here. When he did, he just started boohooing. Because he said all I could feel was just a little shaking in there, not much movement at all. And he ran and got his wife. He got her up. She got on her robe. Brother Paul J. Paramore. And his wife, and she came in there. He said, feel his heart. She felt in my heart and immediately just started crying. Both of them said, later, we just knew you was dead on our hands. And so they began to pray. And death fastened his final throes upon me. Yeah, I've been dead twice. I know. I know exactly how you feel when you slip out of the body to cross to the other side. I know exactly. I've been there. And I know death fastened his final throes upon me. The chill cold dew of death was upon my brows, cold as ice all over. I opened my mouth out of my mind to say to Brother Paramore, you tell my wife and tell my children. And when I opened my mouth to say that, you see, I had spoken with tongues and would interpret tongues I'd never prophesied. But when I said that, the spirit of prophecy fell upon me and I began to prophesy. And I prophesied for 45 minutes. No, my heart didn't beat any better. But I was, th this anointing was all over me, just like you'd put an overcoat on or a cloak on you. It, it was upon me. It sustained me. Hallelujah. And I prophesied for 45 minutes. And through that prophecy, you see, the Lord said some things to me and then spoke to me through that prophecy and corrected me. He said, you see, I told you to tell people that I'd given you a gift of healing and sent you to minister to the people and you didn't do that. The reason you didn't do that is because you didn't want to attract attention unto yourself. You felt like people would think, well, he's trying to attract attention unto himself. He thinks he's something. He thinks he's somebody. He said to me in that, Peter at the gate called Beautiful said to that uh, crippled man, look on us. Look on us. He wasn't trying to attract attention unto himself and John as human beings. He's trying to attract attention of something they had from the Lord. And he said, such as I have, give I thee. He said, it wouldn't have done John any good or Peter any good to say, I have a, a gift of healing or to say, I have the gift of faith, special faith. That wouldn't mean anything. That man, New Testament wasn't written. But he said, you see, the New Testament's been written now and people can read in there that gifts of healings have been set in the church. And when you tell them, 
that the Lord said to you, I've given you a gift of healing and sent you to mention the sick, then they, it will arouse their expectancy. And that's all it's necessary to do is just arouse their expectancy for them to receive. Well, I cease prophesying after 45 minutes, and I've been prophesying ever since then. But then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, now get your paper and pencil and write this down, or pen rather. And I always kept a little pad in my, right by my bedside. A little, you see, three by five inch pad. Because many times in the nighttime in praying, the Lord would say something to him. If you don't write them down, a lot of times you'll, you'll, you'll get away from you. And so I went, see, just the next door, next, next room. I went through the door into the next room and picked up that little pad with my pen. And so he said to it, and I have the original. He said to me, now write down, and I wrote down, January 19, 1950. Now write this. I promise God that I'll tell people that God has given me a gift of healing and sent me to minister to the sick. I promise God that I'll use this ability according to his plan, his purpose, and his will and give him all the glory. I wrote it down as he dictated it to me by the Spirit. And then he said on the bottom of it, write, signed, draw a line out there, signed, signed, three lines, signed, how Brother Paramore, and he signed it, Brother Paul J. Paramore, how Sister Paramore signed it, she signed it, I signed it first. Then he said, you tell them, after they sign that, feel your heart first, and then sign it, then feel your heart and it'll be perfect. I did, they did, and it did. <laughs> Amen. Now, I, I think there's something here that we need to see, you know. Like I said, here in Philip, here was his ministry. It only speaks about people with apologies that were lame were healed, unclean spirits. I'm talking about any deaf people, any blind people being healed. They could have been healed, but perhaps, notice it said, which he did. How did he do it? By that miraculous faculty or endowment that God had endowed him with. Are you listening to me? Why couldn't he in another area? Because he did not have but one gift. There are multiple gifts. If one had all the gifts, then he could minister successfully this way I'm talking about. Now, there is a way that you can minister to all people through faith. Are you listening to me? But uh, I'd go along for years, you know, and, and like I say, but anybody had a growth, a lump, a knot, a rupture, a hernia, or anything of that nature. And usually... If you had any kind of a stomach trouble, I would always get that. And I've had meetings, and I, I, I know I know one, one meeting, the very next meeting I held after the Lord spoke to me there on the 19th day of January, there in East Texas, and I was preaching there in East Texas, and these were Assembly of God churches primarily. But I was holding a meeting, they were, they were five Assembly of God churches, two churches of God, no, three churches of God, and one independent Pentecostal church all cooperating. And I remember that we ministers were all talking. Actually, I walked up on the group as they were standing outside the church. These, all these ministers, some eight or nine of them. And, and, and so we were discussing, and they were discussing what was happening. So and I said, you know, I believe this is the greatest success I've ever had. I think at least 50% of the people that we've touched have been healed. And I remember Brother Lonsford, the presbyter, spoke up and said, Brother Hagin, we were just discussing that. Assembly of God presbyter said, uh, most of these people are members, you see, of our five Assembly of God churches, the three Church of God, the one independent Pentecost, and said, we've all agreed that 90% of the people have been healed. That's the best record I ever had. But what I'm saying to you is this. We need to realize that in this area of being endowed by the Spirit, or miraculous faculty, find out if you're in this area how God wants to use you. Or know this, 
that the word of God always works. Just tell people what the Bible said and lay hands upon them. And then the Spirit of God very often will move in connection with you. Now see this woman down here where I left off there a moment ago that had that huge tumor that had grown so large. I was going to minister to her and she could have been ministered to that way with just the anointing that he had anointed with me just a month before. But instead of that, suddenly this miraculous endowment came into manifestation. Now you don't use that as you want to. You see, it has to be under the anointing of the Spirit. And so when the word of the Lord came unto me saying, hit her, see, not pray, but hit her in the stomach. Your fist. Now I've had them happen several times. Every time they always deliver. Well, every head bowed, every eye closed. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.